Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at overtheball.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, football fans, welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside D2 Men's Coach of the Year and defending national champion Chris Shamides. Big bonus program today, folks. Two guests. That's right, two. We have an extra guest. Instead of one, you get a second one for nothing, a bonus. It's like going to the deli and ordering a sandwich, and then they just give you a pickle. You didn't ask for it. You might not want it, but you're getting it. For nothing, for zip, for zero. Today, we discuss the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, the group is there uh, with the World Cup. The draw is in, so we're going to break it all down for you with the help of senior editor of Soccer America, Mike Wojtola, and stat guru uh, and director of content for True Media, as well as CBS and Fox Sports, Paul Carr. He uh, always enlightens us on stats and whatever, you know, the, the, the odds of and history of whatever the World Cup draw has been. Um, so, Chris, how you doing? You know, I'm going to use that. Uh, I only have a couple of months to use that coach of the year and defending national champion moniker. It's pretty impressive. So I'm going to keep using it. And, uh, but as they say in the coach's uh, profession, uh, what have you done for me lately, boy? Um, you're in yeah. Tough, no, that's sad. I, I think the, the one I got, uh, it says, and if you read the fine print, you can mention it forever. So feel free. What's that? No, just that I've won it. So once I went you to won it. Mine, you can mention it on the top of every episode as far I mean, as I'm He's concerned. a former, at one day you will be. But I'm saying like the hard part about coaching is you can have these, these great accolades and then all of a sudden if you have one losing season, people are like, he's, he's awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, dad, my dad says he's awful and I should play more. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nature of it. Like I always tell you, we have the thick skin. So we're, we're always ready for that next one. And we always know we're only as good as last year. And all those cliches are there for a reason. Uh, I always tell you, I think I told you the story once before, but my buddy was a head coach of a lacrosse, Division I lacrosse team. And he called me in New York and said, uh, yeah, man, I, I told the players. I sat him down. I said, you, uh, you, you want to talk about your playing time? My door's open. If your parents call me about your playing time, you're not playing. I'm like, that's good, dude. I like that. It was on a Friday. I called him on Tuesday. I said, how's it going? He goes, hey, I got fired this morning. <laughs> <laughs> he said one of the board members' uh, son wasn't playing, and he uh, kicked up a ruckus. So anyway, uh, so uh, all right. So um, I'm here in beautiful, beautiful Atlantic City. All right. I'm at the Borgata this week or uh, last week. I'm still working tonight. We're recording this on Monday. But uh, I didn't have to work on Saturday night because uh, there was a comic here in the bigger room, a bigger draw than me, if you can believe it, Shamides. Impossible. His name was Chris Rock. So it was, uh, he did, they added two shows. So it was three shows, 4,000 people apiece. This place was just jamming. Wow. Now, so how does he handle it, Kev? Is he talking about the, the Will Smith thing? Well, he did. He just, you know, because someone, of course, there's always a couple of idiots in the crowd yelling stupid shit out. And um, he just said, hey, look, man, no, no, don't go there. Don't go there. He goes, uh, you know, I'm just processing it. Like I said in Boston the other day. And he said, I'll, I'll eventually talk about it and I'll, I'll try to make it funny for you folks. And they gave him a standing out. So, yeah, that's good. That yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, we talked about it last week, but he showed a lot of poise and grace. It was pretty unbelievable. So, um, 
You know, and I thought David Spade said the best thing. People were like, well, she had alopecia. And he goes, you know what? As a comedian, you don't get a medical chart on everyone who's in the office, in the, uh, in the audience, you know? Right. And, I mean, and, and someone had made a, a joke about her having an affair on her husband, a boyfriend that was legit that he, and then that's what he gets mad at, a hair joke. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's all new. I thought it was very funny, though, because I got to tell you, this, this woman I know, uh, so that happened on Sunday, the Oscars. On Thursday... She calls me and goes, hey, man, have you heard about this Chris Rock thing? I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I have. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the dumb and dumber. Uh, we landed on the moon. <laughs> you mean, uh, is, are those your skis, both of them? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I got a chance. So uh, I, I just howled. I couldn't. I laughed for like three minutes. I said, where, where have you been, man? Uh. Oh, it, but, so, uh, but anyway, it was great. Great crowds here. And I always love the fact that uh, – that people come out for comedy. So, um, so it's all good. Oh, yeah. What did you do this weekend? Yeah, I love recruiting. I was in Phoenix. There was a huge uh, tournament for ECNL. So, uh, you know, 88 degrees, 12-hour days, long days. Wow. Uh, but a great chance to see a lot of players. Let me ask you about that because, you know, when I did some volunteer coaching, I remember I was at a private prep school, and I had like four days to pick – players and it was almost impossible uh, you know you have to look for certain qualities so uh, it's really hard uh, you know who's a who's a good sort of team player who's putting the effort in which seemed to register a lot with me um, what do you go into these recruiting things like having already identified a bunch of players that you key in on and and how often are you surprised that you go cause you always hear the story going in to see Keith and turns out Todd is a better player and yeah. Kind of yeah. And, and, and Pulisic is that story, right? Like he, uh, I, I think, I think it was Tab Ramos went in to go see a different player and noticed uh, Pulisic and then pulled him into the, the youth national team pool out of that uh, and got him another bigger opportunity from there. So it happens sometimes, but yeah, I mean, at these big events, all college coaches, it's the same. You have like a pile of players that have reached out to your particular school and you try to get around and see as many of them as you can. And then you're also looking out for your own fresh eyes of anyone that might catch your own eye that, that you want to try to pursue, but it's hard because it's so much volume, you know, there's so right. many games and, uh, there's fatigue that sets in. No one talks about that, but coaches fatigue after a while. You're on the field for 12 hours a day. You got to keep yourself sharp and try to keep your eyes sharp and take notes and all these kinds of things. So, and then you have two, three days of it. So it, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy for the players. It's not easy for the coaches either. You know, it's funny. Uh, of all the years, my old roommate, Mike Noonan, um, is the head coach at Clemson, you know, the RECC, Division One, big program. I sent him down a player, and, and I've never sent him a player. Uh, ever. And um, I sent him one and he, he knew in 10 minutes, he said, um, not a bad player, but physically not a D1 player. Uh, uh, technically okay, tactically no. And it just doesn't think he was uh, enough of an athlete to compete at that level. I mean, he knew that in, in five, 10 minutes of watching him. Yeah, but that's, you know, you, when you have a, an advanced filter, if you've been doing this for a long time, you could get, you can get an, a quick analysis like that pretty easily i think the mm -hmm. tricky part is when a lot of boxes get checked on a player and now this player becomes interesting to you that's when the hard work begins because now you're really trying to separate the gray area on a certain player in terms of the nuances to his or her game and the the choices they make with the ball without the ball like that that that's where every coach becomes a little bit more subjective in that sense where every coach wants something different based on how they may play and so players get rated differently I remember uh, Dave Mazur from, from um, 
the red, whatever it is. St. John's. St. John's. John's, right? So, you know, Dave, great coach, great, great player, actually, in his day, too. He said one day he went to a recruiting trip, and the kid was yelling at his mother because she didn't, she forgot his roller. And he's like, oh, man, I, and the kid's like, hey, I'd like to go there. He goes, yeah, but we don't want you. We don't want you. Don't yeah. want I got a guy yelling at your mother for not bringing your rollers. Like, Mom, I can't play without my roller. Never, never heard of a roller when I played Chris. Yeah, yeah, I know. They get rollers now. I mean, we had orange slices. They, these guys get <laughs> yeah. rollers, you know, to roll out between games. So, yeah, it's a part of it now. All right, good. So I'm looking forward to this U.S. Men's National Team draw. It's going to be fun. We'll talk about it in depph with uh, with Mike Waitola from Soccer America and and, uh, and Paul Carr, who's our stat dude. But um, you know they're going to face England, which I think is great. Iran uh, in Group B in the World Cup, and then the opening day they're going to play in the tournament, which I kind of like. Uh, they don't know who they're going to play yet. It's going to be either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. I think those none of those are are easy really. Um, God knows what's going to happen with Ukraine. I feel the uh, I feel that such a, such tough stuff going on over there, obviously. But um, but what are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's going to be weird because it's in November, right? It's our whole life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know that post Thanksgiving time, and obviously it's the first time we're having a World Cup in this cycle, uh, or in that part of the year, I should say. And then to get England again, you know, there's such history, obviously, in between the two countries and Iran. There's so much such history between those two countries. So, like, you know, it's it, for for the pundits, there's a lot to discuss and all that stuff. But it, it'll be interesting, I think, with England because. I know they look at us as, as an easy kind of draw. And I think yeah. probably very happy with the group. Um, but we're also very familiar with England and, and, yeah. and I've done pretty well against them. Now, granted they're in a great time right now. I think they've got a really good pool of players, probably the best pool that they've had in a long time. And they've right. got some experience as a group, which is really important. The previous world cup in euros, you know, they've, they've shown well, um, but we, we know a lot of their people, you know, and so right. interesting to see how, how we feel. I don't think we'll be, uh, you know, intimidated in any way about it and we'll have a lot of knowledge on them. So it should be interesting. You know, I, we talked last week about how MLS has raised the stakes for the United States players because, you know, teams in Central and South America and then teams in Canada are getting better. There's someone to play. There's a domestic league that's good. They're, you know, getting paid. Conversely, I think England, the fact that the, the English teams used to play all other England teams, you know, they were all stacked with English players and they had a very English style that did not translate well in international football always. It's not a very, it wasn't a very entertaining brand of football. Um, I think playing with so many foreigners now in the Premier League with all these great players, great coaches, uh, and these young players that make up the England squad, they're, they're a different group. They, they definitely are. So it will be fun. But I, I do, certainly the English press, which is just the most annoying press in the world, I think, um, they've already taken us lightly. And they were, like, so excited that they're going to yeah. play over at the United States, which is just going to motivate the boys. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a, there's a good narrative there. And there's some... Uh... I think it's an easy underdog game for us. And, and I think we're, we're arguably best when we're in that underdog role. Right. Um, we just need to tap into that in the right ways. Um, and, and then you have the reverse now with Iran, where now Iran will have super motivated to play us for all the slower reasons that you can imagine. Yeah. And that becomes a whole different dynamic, you know, in that second game. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. And I think, am I right that England plays the U.S. in the second game, right? I think second that's, game, right. Yeah, that's hard. That's On Black Friday. Black, well, because they're, you know, people have gotten some points already. People have lost. People have tied. You know, so it's sort of that's a bigger game. I like that one, though. Get your yayas out on the first one and then take on the, the big rival there. 
Yeah, but you know the, the the thing is that England will will for sure, no matter what happens in the first game, need the second game, and so you're going to get their best group, you know, uh, to to fight for the three points. And so now, now you, you hope that you have a mathematical chance by game three, which puts a lot of pressure on our game one. Look at you, know, you sound you sounding like Paul Carr there, man. I, I I have never been so depressed as when I was in France and I watched this play the former Yugoslavia. We should have won that game, and I watched this play Iran. We should have won uh-huh. that game. It was just so depressing. So maybe um, maybe we get him this time. You know. So speaking of the Premier League, the game of the year is coming up this Saturday. I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I've been you know following Liverpool pretty closely. I never had a favorite team, but I just. I started to watch, you know, the Premier League years ago, and, and it's just it's developed into Liverpool because I love the way they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like they're kind of vulnerable to the counterattack, and I feel like uh, Man City plays well with almost not breaking a sweat lots of times. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think both teams could be vulnerable to the counterattack. That's just how, what, how their game models are built. I mean, they're, they're slightly different in terms of how they get there in the attack. Um, you know, Liverpool is a little bit more willing to counter. Man City is a lot more possession-oriented. And so there's a, there's a contrasting styles, but there's also a lot of overlap in what they do in terms of positional play and um, counter-pressing and transition. So I think Man City has always struggled, or, or let's say Pep Guardiola teams have always struggled with the teams that are – uber athletic who can literally hurt you on the break and and truly threaten you with numbers and pace and power and liverpool is certainly that so it's a tough matchup so it's a matter of who can land their punches because both teams are good enough to do that and it's just whoever can execute in those moments will gain the advantages obviously in this game and city city on paper based on the control of their mat of how they control matches you know, if they're able to maintain the position that they want, and they should be able to against Liverpool, it, it becomes a game of attrition at a certain point, and yeah. most teams wilter, but Liverpool doesn't wilter easily, do they? Yeah, um, and I, that's a good point, because Liverpool is bigger and more physical than Man City. Uh, and, uh, you know, Man City has a lot of those smaller, highly skilled players, and uh, second half, you can kind of get beat up. So I think if, if Liverpool keeps an even uh, score there in the first half, maybe, maybe the second half, they'll start to break them down a little bit. And, and yeah. I also think Man City doesn't play well from behind. No, but, but I mean, they're not going to change how they play City, whether they're yeah. ahead or tied or from behind. I mean, the question for me, for Liverpool, is how much will they – and I'm always curious behind the scenes how they handle this. Is like how, how much will they talk about holding on to the ball? You know, in the sense that that's not – they're not a possession team. They're just generating attacks. And, and they do fine in possession, but against City, it becomes even more important because if you don't possess some of it, they will, and they'll yeah. do it to ad nauseum. So, like, how much is Liverpool willing to suffer uh, with, without the ball, and how do they – do they compensate that by trying to generate more attacks and create a higher expected goals number, or do they do that by actually holding on to the ball and then getting their breath and then launching when they feel like they can. So I think there's a philosophical question there, and that's what makes this game so interesting. Yeah, and I don't think Liverpool is used to not having most of the possession. And uh, we all know as former players, it's not fun when you don't have the ball. So, uh, hey, I wanted to ask you about Barcelona. Um, great goal by this Pedri. It's, the kid's 19 years old. And, you know, it made me just think, like, here he is playing at the top level. He's 19. Beautiful goal. Um, and we talk about our team, the national team, and how young they are. And yet, here we have a 19-year-old who's playing at the top level. And my question to you is, you know, we've always talked about youth, let them develop. I know Pulisic said, 
you know, he was talking about his development said 14 to 16 seemed to be the most important years to, to really immerse himself um, in, in high end footy. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, cause here he is. I, I mean, I think we kind of have to say to our players, our guys, all right, you, you're in your twenties fellas. Yeah. We're talking about how young you are, but it's time. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard someone already say that, and I was kind of taken back by it where they say, well, you know, it's a young team and this will be America's, you know, a good first World Cup for this group. And I, I'm, you know, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it as a good first cup. I mean, you never know if you're going to get back. You never know the dynamic of a group, how similar it's going to be. Obviously, we'll pre-qualify from hosting, so that becomes different. But there's still this idea that you can take a swing now and you have to take the swing, obviously. With, with Pedri, you know, well, let me go back to what you say about Pulisic. You know, he, he really, he had the passport, right? He had the European passport yeah. from his family. So mm-hmm. that allowed him to get to Europe a little bit earlier. And he credits that, that 14 to 17 time frame. As he, he, also, he, he also had two Division, division One parents, uh, soccer players. Uh, yes. So he learned it, you know, early. He had a yes. ball at his foot very early, which is important. Yes, yes. But, you know, he had that, ex- where a lot of the American players have to wait till they're 18 to get over there. He was able to get there earlier and he credits that time. Yeah. And when you think about what he did in those windows of time versus is what an average American kid would do in that time period or the American or the average American experience during that age, it, it's drastically different. So he's shot forward a little bit for the better. And Pedri's in the exact same situation. I mean, you could say he's 19, but the reality is he's played so many minutes already at the highest level that it, it it's less about age at that point. It's more about the quality of his experience at that age. And that's some, you just start talking about these guys as if they're not young anymore. They're, they're just, proven you know or let me say this established professionals obviously room to improve but they're already at the high level and you also have to uh, the average 14 to 60 year old american kid is like clocking in eight hours a day playing call of duty or something on the, on the you know that's what i mean like our elite players there's, there's it's a, just a different culture to be you know dropped into the dortmund academy or whatnot and versus being here it's just it's just different you know, and so that's the part where we're trying to close the gap as an American, as, as uh, American players in our culture, but their program that they have over there and how much value they can get out of it at those ages right now is better than what we're offering. You know, I watched a little uh, Bundesliga uh, this weekend. Ricardo Pepe's Augsburg was uh, going up against John Brooks in Wolfsburg. And uh, Pepe was involved in the third goal. He, you know, he hasn't scored a goal for the U.S. in uh, a couple of games there. He was the, the, uh, the great, I was going to say great white hope, but I don't know what he is, but he, great hope. Uh, up front. Um, but I was thinking about John Brooks. I mean, here he was. He was the man in the center, uh, in, in the back there. And a couple of bad games, and he's out. And in a sense, I think it's, uh, it's almost what we talked about with the women's team. Like, the familiarity breeds contempt. If there's no pressure pushing you up new players, you get lazy, you, you, you jog back. Um, and I think with the U.S. team, now the men, you can't have a bad game because there's someone – at it, you know, egg them to just get on that field and, and take your position, even though they're a very close team and they're pulling for each other. Um, how, do you, how do you gauge something like that with, with a player? Is there something more to it than just his playing ability? Yeah, I, I, I would sense that there's something more to it in terms of like the nature of the mistakes because, you know, you, no player is going to do well in an environment where, you know, if you make a mistake, you get yanked out. Right. So like, that's not really a healthy performance environment. At the same time, it's really healthy to have competition within the roster. And yeah, you need to be playing well, training well and in form in order to get selected. But I think there were some mistakes that he made that that probably made the staff uncomfortable. You know, the nature of the blunder. Uh, And then when you have other 
players, let's say Zimmerman, who who've kind of avoided some of those blunders. It's not so much, especially at center back. It's it's of course it's about the plays that you make, but it's also about the things you don't concede. You know, and so if Brooks is conceding these things on a somewhat consistent basis, and the other center backs are not, the body of work starts to dissipate, and these other center backs get selected. And I think that's what's happened here. It's interesting, too, watching um, the goalkeeper sort of uh, situation. Zach Steffen looked a little shaky on a couple of balls there and gave up some goals. And, uh, and then now Matt Turner has this mysterious foot injury. I think we can talk to Mike Wartola about that a little bit. Um, I don't know. There's something behind that and something behind the Brooks thing uh, that you don't know, something maybe off the ball. But uh, goalkeeper situation's got me a little, a little nervous. I, not nervous. I just don't know who should be in the nets because uh, – you know, Turner's a good shot stopper. Ethan Horvath played really well as well. Uh, and Stefan looked a little shaky, and he's not playing for Man City. And now Turner's going to go over to Arsenal and probably ride the pine a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Turner injury, yeah, I'm interested in what our guest Mike will say because I've heard rumors that it's attached to that cold game that they played. You know, yeah. and, and that was, is this a remnant of that, which would be a shame, right, if that was truly uh, – a part of the reason why he, why he's had to deal with not playing recently. Yeah. I mean, Zach Steffen reality is it's great that he's at city, but he's only really been getting the FA cup. So he doesn't get regular action. Um, He's obviously in a great training environment with one of the best clubs in the world, but not getting as many matches as let's say Turner is in MLS. So, you know, what's better, is it better to play less at the highest, highest, highest level or to play regularly at MLS? You know, you can argue that, you know, uh, for a long time, but I think it's still a great stable I don't think the U.S. is concerned as long as Turner can can make it to November, you know, and get to the World Cup. As long as he's going to be fit, then they'll be okay. And by the way, Horvath, I think, is a fantastic third guy in this group. You know, I think he does – he seems to be, from the outside looking in, like a, just a really good professional, very stable mm-hmm. personality in the locker room, and supports the goalkeepers in a way that, you know, really makes that stable of three uh, highly functional. That uh, that special group goalkeepers and why quite Chris I I've often talked about this on the show why I always had a room with the goalkeepers I do not know but a coach would always throw me in there throw Flynn in with the goalkeepers and they're nuts so that, I think maybe that means I'm nuts I'm not sure all right uh, good stuff let's uh, let's take a break here and when we come back we'll be talking to uh, Paul Carr the stat guru and also Mike Wojtola from Soccer America you're listening to Over the Ball. Joining us now and over the ball, he's the senior editor at Soccer America, Mike Wojtola, and True Media's Paul Carr, our stat guru. Many people's stat guru, actually, CBS Sports and also Fox. Uh, guys, how are you today? Good. Good to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, Paul? it's good. World yeah. Cup's only, what is it, six months away, so we've got to pace I know, ourselves. Right? Well, we'll get to other things eventually, but uh, man, uh, you know, guys, you're probably with me with the debacle in Trinidad Tobago. I, I just I had a lump in my chest and throat for a couple of years here. So it's nice to finally get that put away. I think we missed a few opportunities, Mike. Do you think do you think we should have won that group, Mike, at the end? Or I mean Canada was playing out of there. I think we're a better team, but I think Canada really played out of their yin yangs there. You know, I think Canada is the best team in the region right now. I don't think that's hard to you know, that, that's pretty indisputable. Wow. Um, that last game was weird, the, the game in Costa Rica. You know, the, the U.S. was all but qualified. Um, it was a little bit of a bummer that, you know, the, the celebrations were kind of weird to lose a game 2-0 and go. Yeah, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that. But overall, you know, it's it's over now. What, what's kind of fun is when you look at the draw and you look at what, what could happen even compared to the past, it really hits home. 
that we missed one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we have to go back to 2014 to see, oh, who did we play then? And, you know, who do we have in 2010? So uh, it makes it feel good that uh, we get to look forward to having the U.S. in the World Cup because that was kind of odd for most of us who've been, you know, the U.S. has been in every World Cup since 1990. Not a lot of teams have done that until they, you know, missed the 2018 one. Well, different region. And, you know, to think, you know, most American fans kind of took it for granted, especially the younger people who didn't know American soccer history, basically. But then you look at like Italy doesn't make the cup. And I mean, a country and that's a team that we were talking about last week on the show. You have an Italian team that doesn't qualify. Right. And that team, the same team that didn't qualify could probably win the World Cup pretty easily. So it's, a, it's an odd game we have here. And, and uh, Paul, I was looking at some of your stats uh, you were saying Taylor Navas kind of kept Costa Rica in things, didn't they? Yeah, to the point on you know not winning the group. I mean, personally, I don't care. He qualified for the World Cup, and you know yeah. if they needed to try to win the group or finish higher, like if that had, had an impact on seeding, uh, things would have been different. You know, U.S. probably would have played differently in Costa Rica, and et cetera. And I agree with Mike. Like Canada seems like the best team in the region. I was a little surprised just looking at some of the underlying numbers from the Ocho that the U.S. had the best, the most expected goals and the fewest expected goals against. So basically, again, given the shots that they took and conceded on average, they would score the most goals and give up the fewest. Now, I can throw some caveats out there. This is 14 games. Things get weird. This is, you know, there's not a giant difference between the U.S. or Mexico uh, or Canada, really, in that. So I guess Point being, if, if anything, you know, the numbers suggest the U.S. played a little bit better. There were games like the one in El Salvador that was a nil-nil draw. The U.S. probably should have had a goal. Uh, right. there, there were things like that. Uh, they could be easily, of course, have had a goal in Mexico at Azteca, a couple of great chances there. Uh, so the numbers you know, suggest that the U.S. should be pretty happy with the way they played. The results didn't always go, go their way. And yeah, Navas is what saved Costa Rica. Milan Borjan did really well and helped out Canada. His numbers look really good. Uh, but uh, yeah, overall, happy. U.S. qualified, they're in. That's really all that matters. You know, uh, you mentioned a couple goalkeepers there. Uh, Mike, we were talking before you came on uh, with our goalkeeping situation, something we've not worried about so much, but it doesn't seem there to be a, a clear choice to who to put in the nets. Stefan had a couple of bobbles. He, he made some, some errors, I think. Um, and now this whole Matt Turner uh, stuff, what is, is there a story that we don't know, Mike, with this Matt Turner thing? I mean, is it a, is a hairline fracture or was it, was it um, frostbite? I, I don't know. You certainly could have. Well, what's the deal? The controversy is whether the frost, whether the, the snow game, uh, the Minnesota game contributed to it. They're being uh, adamant that it didn't, that it was a different foot that had the frostbite. Uh, it got in the news again because Bruce Arena um, commented on it and in two ways. One is he said that he had frostbite, but two, emphasizing that that was not uh, what it's been keeping him out. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not a fan that, that to me, that was one of the most shameful, stupid bullshit things the Federation has ever had to play Honduras, which hadn't won a game in like 14 games to play him in that dangerous conditions that wouldn't win against their own. But anyway, um, so let's just assume they're telling the truth and Turner's hurt because he's hurt. Um, I do think that's a little bit of a problem. I mean, he, hopefully he'll be healthy by then, but uh, Stefan doesn't look sharp and, and to have a player, start for your national team that doesn't get a lot of playing time or hardly any playing time is, is not a good thing. I don't think goalkeeping is going to be the issue though. I mean, there's gotta be, we gotta be, have someone playing goalkeeper who should be pretty good. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. the scoring goals that, um, uh, you know, what, what it's going to come down to, I think. 
I'll jump on that with some numbers from the Ocho. Just looking at the goalkeeping numbers. Uh, Turner, if you look at the shots on target that he faced, he saved about a goal over the eight games that he played. And Stefan conceded about a goal and a half more than he would have been expected to. So really those numbers kind of reinforce what I think the, the average fan sees. You know, Turner is a better shot stopper than Stefan is. Uh, the question, these numbers are not factoring in anything like, you know, playing out of the back, which we know Burhalter likes to do. Uh, you could also throw in, like Mike mentioned, you know, Burhalter, or not Burhalter, but Stefan rather, you know, flapped at a couple of crosses uh, in this last window. So this is not definitively saying Turner should start, but I think it does reinforce the whole Turner's a shot stopper, Stefan not as strong in that area of his game. But he's got a presence. He's, he's a big guy. Um, and who's the third keeper then? Would it be Ethan Horvath? I mean, that would be my guess. I think there's, there's it really, these choices are always interesting to me because it's really kind of what does the uh, manager want? Do you want a veteran guy? Uh, you're going to bring a Sean Johnson, Brad Guzan. I don't know. Uh, you're going to bring a kid just to kind of get him some experience, in which case you bring the Chicago keeper maybe whose name I can never pronounce correctly. Uh, yeah. So you've got different choices. Horvath would kind of be the in-between there who, you know, break in case of emergency if you think he really might have a shot at playing. But the thing is though, by November, what if Horvath's the only one of those three to five we mentioned who's playing regularly? Because Turner's going to Arsenal, Stefan's still at City. We don't know how much either one's going to play. Uh, I mean, Horvath could have a legit case to be the number one by then. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm curious if when you when you talk about like the uh, goals conceded, Paul, of the of mm -hmm. those two guys. D d so, are you factoring in in terms of the shot stopping the expected goal of the shot that they're facing? Is that how that Correct. works? Yeah. So it looks at the shot. There's, I mean, generally the expected goals numbers you hear are pre-shot, meaning if you take a penalty shot that's scored 79% of the time, it's worth 0.79 expected goals. For these keeper numbers, it factors in where the shot goes. So if you put that penalty in the, you know top corner in the upper 90, it's worth like, you know, 0.99 expected goals because nobody's ever getting to it. If you put it, you know, more or less right at the keeper, it might be, I don't know, 0 0.4, 0 0.5 because the keeper dives the wrong way half the time or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So these numbers factor in where the shots go and the degree of difficulty of saving them. Yeah. And, it, and it, that's Kevin, I think it's that that's the question of, you know, form versus quality in the moment uh, in real time, you can get lost sometimes looking at the numbers and who's been playing more versus like, I bet you at a certain point, I, I would imagine, I don't want to speak for someone like a Bruce arena, but like he might say, well, this guy might be playing more, but this guy's better, you know? And so now it's like, what is the threshold of being out of form? Like how many games is it? Like if, if Stefan is playing in the, in, in, in the FA cup games, is that enough to say he's sharp enough? Therefore he's greater than goalkeeper B. I mean, that, that's why the, the coaches have some tough decisions to make. I don't know if we're the kind of country that can afford to bring a third keeper that isn't good enough to play right away. You know, I think we, we probably need to have a, a Horvath type uh, and maybe not a young one. Um, but you know, that's what Greg and his staff will have to decide. Here, here's the rub. You know, do you go to a big club and limit your amount of time playing time or do you, you play? Um, you know, and the, the great Mike Oitola once said to me, I'm going to quote you, Mike. I think you were quoting Napoleon, but you said <laughs> that Napoleon, do you, do you know the quote I'm talking about? Oh, the general quote? The, yeah, the general quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah before, uh, before a uh, battle, he called his top advisors in and asked for, you know, to recommend a general, and they would go, well, this guy's good at doing this kind of attack, and this guy likes to do this. And he goes, I don't give a shit about that. Which one's lucky? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and I, I, with, as far as the luck, you know, Horvath and uh, Turner, I feel like they're, 
I don't know. They just have some composure. And Stefan makes me a little nervous on the ball. Um, so I, I don't know. So, yeah, like you said, Mike, though, I think at the end of the day, this is not going to be the problem. Yeah, no, I don't think we, should, we shouldn't have a problem with the goalkeeper. And, um, I think it's a, you know, I think it's an interesting draw. I think, I think what we where, where I'm starting from is that the goal is to get to the quarterfinals, right? We haven't done that since 2002. Um, you know, we're hoping that when we host the, when the U S hosts the world cup, um, we'll be in contention to win it. So I think, uh, at this point, quarterfinals is, is, is the goal, is what, what the U.S. should be uh, capable of doing. Um, you know, after that, as I usually say, anything can happen. Um, right. and, 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 you know, it's, I'm looking at the draw, you got, um, you know, you might have a Holland in the way um, if you don't win your group, but you never know. I mean, I believe Senegal would be a team that could play, um, which is the best team in Africa. So it's, you know, um, it's a good draw. The one that I, I think the team that I think is going to be, I'd be the most worried about is Iran a little bit, because that's the one that's going to be a little harder to, you know, to know what they're, you know, what, what kind of team they're going to be like to play against. And they're always motivated to play against us. I was saying before you guys got on, I saw them play in France, the U.S. Iran, and it was, it was a, a good game. It was frustrating as hell to watch. I was, I was miserable the whole time as we kept going down against them in Yugoslavia. Paul, what's the historical uh, ramifications of our, of our draw? Do we have you know, anything? Yeah, I mean, it's two European teams again for the U.S. It's been nine straight times that they've made the World Cup that they've had two European opponents, which isn't an absurd number because there's usually two European teams in uh, more than half of the groups. But, it, you know, it's still it's an interesting run. Um, I think it's good, though, in this case, because, you know, they could have gotten, uh, if they hadn't gotten England as a seed, if they get Brazil or Argentina as a seed, maybe you have Brazil or Argentina and two European teams, which, you know, on paper is a little bit tougher. Um, I just love the storylines out of this group from a, you know, coming from a TV background, like the talking points of this are great. You're playing England, which there's, you know, a rivalry that goes back 250 years. Uh, and then you're playing Iran, which has the various political implications yeah, you could have right. ukraine which would be one of the stories of the world cup if they make it uh, or you get scotland or wales which gives you another british team and everything that goes along uh, with that from a familiarity standpoint for both the u.s and england uh, and things like that so it's a it's a great group just from a narrative standpoint we heard a lot about the pots, the different pots that were not the kind of stuff we were talking about in high school, but the, the, the different pots you get thrown into. Yeah. How significant was that uh, within the draw? We, we was, came pretty close, right? This was monstrous to be. Yeah. I mean, the US was locked into the second pot before their last qualifier, but they weren't that far from being in number three. You know, another, a result or two having gone a different way in the Ocho uh, could have changed that. And it was, that was the biggest thing uh, in the whole draw for the US because otherwise they could have been in a group with Spain and Germany. Otherwise, right. or something like that. You could have gotten two real powers. So by getting into that second pot, and the same thing for Mexico, you get in that second pot, you avoid that the second cut of teams, or really the teams that could easily have been in the first pot and weren't. Like again, like your like your uh, your Germany, like your Netherlands. You know, so the U.S. could have had a much tougher draw and just get in that second pot. And since FIFA's gone to this the seeding this way of doing the pots the last couple of tournaments. There hasn't been a group of death as much, but mm -hmm. the key is just getting into pot two because it makes your path so much easier in the group stage. Regardless, and we've never had that. And didn't doesn't everybody think they're in the group of death? Isn't that sort of the way you know? It usually yeah, works. Two thousand fourteen, Klinsmann made a big deal about being in the group of death, but that really you know didn't really turn out to be right. like that. I don't think you had another group that Costa Rica got out of that had three teams that had won World Cups. Right. Um, you know, well that that was what Ghana. 
um, Germany and Portugal. Portugal yep. kind of fell apart in that tournament. Yeah. Um, so you never know. I mean, this could end up being a tough group. Iran could be, you know, play crazy soccer. I'm obviously rooting for Scotland to be in that group because that's like one team that I don't think has beat us in since long time. <laughs> I wrote it down somewhere. It's been a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, we've been better than Scotland since like the 90s, so that would yep. be a good one. Yeah, I think you'd definitely um, root for Scotland if you're the U.S. to get out of the playoffs. It'll be likely Ukraine. to get through. What's but, that? Yeah. I think you definitely root for Scotland to get through the playoffs. Yeah. It's likely to, but that's the team you'd much rather play if you're the U.S. They just have the lowest ceiling, I think, yeah. of any of those three teams. I have mixed feelings about Ukraine because if, you, yeah. if it's Ukraine, then it's going to be all about, you know, non-soccer things. There's already going to be enough. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and I think the, and the world will be pulling for them. You know, I, it's, uh, I, I, I'm going to pull for Scotland as well because I also think Scotland could take it to England a little bit. There's a lot of history there. They might play. Um, they, you know, they drew nil-nil at Euros last year. Yeah, which would be a good result, uh, a good result for us. And of course, the English press is already uh, just discounting the United States. They're kind of laughing. What an easy group they have, and uh, I hope that motivates uh, the young players. Chris, do you use that with your players? Do you just you, you, they always say, "Don't say anything in the press that's going to piss off the other team." Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we were talking about this today with our staff. Is like you, you don't get too far into the narratives that are, you know out of your control you know you, you really just focus on your processing your training and the storylines that come with it i mean if there's something you can reach into for to press a button to help your group here and there or to help with an individual yeah maybe but you can't really hang your hat on that because that's feast or famine sometimes you know i i think that you know going back to talking about iran like i i watched very carefully iran play spain in the last world cup and they gave them a hard hard time and it was a very defensive effort yeah, I mean, iran actually did pretty good pretty well i believe they had a, yeah. a winner title loss right um, yeah and, and and they they were they were unfortunate to only lose one zero one nil against spain spain really struggled with them and it'll be interesting to see how iran now granted they defended but it'd be interesting to see how iran plays against us you know tactically that part that question that they'll have is is gonna because we don't really face that you know teams that are truly packed in in a really good way we don't see that a lot in CONCACAF packed in and organized and um guys this is for any of you but Mexico has always done pretty well in the cup as as well as um well, Costa Rica did in one cup as well but Mexico performs well in a cup don't they well they always they always get eliminated <laughs> at the round of 16 since 1986 um I was down in Mexico for the qualifier and um you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, when Mexican soccer is good, it's as great as soccer can get. Um, you know, they play some terrific soccer. And if you look at the last few World Cups, you know, they beat Germany in the first, they beat the defending champion in the first game. A couple of World right. Cups ago, they beat France, which was coming in as runner up. Um, and then they, they, but right now, they're just not playing very well. They're not playing exciting soccer. They've got off field issues with their stupid chant and their, you know, the league's under a lot of pressure because of what happened at the um, the, the, the riot and everything. So yeah. um, maybe, you know, maybe they'll get things together in time for the World Cup. They, they certainly have talent. I think my theory on Mexico is that when you have a foreign coach like Tata Martino, it's going to be harder to have him integrate the younger players because he's not going to know them as well as a domestic coach was. You know, I don't know if he'll last for the World Cup. You know, they really pissed off at him because he, he, he lives in Argentina. He commutes to Mexico. He didn't attend the Liga MX playoffs 
you know, it just looks bad. But I think more importantly is he's not doing a good job of integrating young players because they have them. I mean, they have talent, but they're just not playing that well. So um, maybe they'll figure things out by the time they get, get to the World Cup. Costa Rica's got a similar problem in that they haven't integrated young talent too, right? I mean, that... Right. Been, Campbell and... Yeah. I think it was Arena said they look like an alumni team, um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, when we played them at home. So... Um, the, when it comes to the U.S., I mean, I think that last game was a wake-up call because it shows that you know, they, they do, the U.S. does struggle with consistency. Um, it doesn't have a set center forward. Doesn't, it doesn't have – we talked about the goalkeeper thing. I mean, I was, I was thinking kind of halfway joking with someone the other day, like, you know, if Josie Altidore was really fit, you know, you take them. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Like they, yeah. like I, I sure as heck hope that Pepe turns out to be a wonderful player and, and does has a World Cup and uh, Jesus Ferreira. I, I like those guys, but um, it is the, the U.S. is missing, um, you know, an experienced forward that you you want to have at a World Cup like this. Yeah, we'll get back to that because I want to ask you a question about Pepe. Um, Paul, what are your thoughts on? I was say on the Mexico thing. I was just going to say I think they got a pretty decent draw. You know, you're in with Argentina but your number one team is going to be good regardless. Uh, I guess I don't have much faith in Poland. You know, they have Lewandowski, who's obviously yeah. maybe the best nine in the world, but they haven't done anything with him at the last two major tournaments. They keep, there was a dark horse who's like, they got Lewandowski and he can go off. Well, they, they didn't. They didn't get out of the group at Euros last year. They didn't get out of the World Cup group the, a couple years before that. So I think this, this Poland team doesn't scare me, at least from what I've seen. They just yeah. kind of muddled through qualifying and did exactly what they had to do and absolutely nothing more. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty decent draw with Poland, Saudi Arabia. I think Mexico's the second best team in the group. Again, there's this asterisk of Mexico's got to get it together. They've got that attacking threesome, which should be great with, uh, with Corona and Jimenez and Lozano, but they haven't quite put it together. Um, I think maybe they found their young center backs in Montez and, and Vasquez. So I, I think they've got the pieces. They just got yeah, no, to, they I, always I, seem I, to. Absolutely. I absolutely, I, I, I think they need to, I remember once Leo Cuellar told me of the captain of the 78 team told me a long, long time ago uh, about, he said, when Mexico wins, they feel like they're the best team in the world. When they lose, they feel like they're the worst team in the world. <laughs> you know, they've got that issue of, of, of kind of coming up with a steady, you know, playing with a steady confidence, not, not not falling apart if things aren't going well and uh, yep. being distracted by this and that. So uh, definitely, you know, I, I would expect them to do well in the World Cup. It looks like if one of if the U.S. finishes first and Mexico finishes second or vice versa, Mexico and the U.S. could meet in the quarterfinals. <laughs> Let's see. I'd love that, oh, man. baby. I'd love that. That'd be That's some, thinking some a lot fireworks. of a lot of <laughs> And I go, guys, going back to Tata. Uh, I don't think he's going to last because, first of all, he looks miserable. He looked <laughs> miserable. I mean, his health was deteriorating as we're watching him. It was it was horrible. Yeah. And then all the press, you know, the press, like the it's like you know the the Spanish version of of. Uh, the English press, they're just so tough on him. Yeah, he was I, riding I, the fourth official the entire game. I can't believe he got a yellow card. I can't believe he didn't get a red card. And then he didn't go to the Honduras game because he has that eye surgery. Um, I, I'm not sure why he's still, what he's hanging on to. And mm -hmm. unless the players have his back or something, it's hard to imagine. Um, I think Mexico uh, is the kind of country that should, should probably have a domestic coach, um, you know, instead of, paying crazy money for a foreign coach and if they're going to change you know do it now you've got some competitive games in nations league in june um give yourself plenty of time you don't want to be you know september and you're two months away and you're changing coaches with only a couple friendlies left All right chris 
Yeah, I mean, that's the, the scary part about Mexico. Like, we all know that they're not playing at their best. And then the timing of a coaching change could be exactly that spark that does it. You know, so whether or not, what kind of a ramp that coach gets before the World Cup, you don't know. But they now switch to a domestic coach and somehow use that as a rallying point. All of a sudden, now they, they can become a better team. I mean, they accumulated the points they needed in qualifying, but they didn't yeah. play with that typical, you know, style that they that they can really show and on the world stage. And if they can gather that between now and then, there's still a bunch of months. If they get that and a coaching change, they become truly a pot two team that they are. Yeah. We, we talked about it last week, though, too, about just at the World Cup level, youth is a big deal. So, Mike, so that goes back to your point. These are, these are it's an older team. They're, they're domestic season, you know, beats players up. Uh, so, um, I don't know this was what makes everything interesting. Paul, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to kind of echo what Chris said, you know, Mexico's got that upside, and for as badly as they played, and as much as we kind of deride on them and their own press derides them, they were second in the hex or the Ocho, only on goal difference. They had five straight shutouts to end it. So, yeah, yeah if they can get it all together, whether it's with the coach or getting, finding the right combo players on the field. I mean, the upside's clearly still there. What's your biggest worry, Mike, about this U.S. team? Is it a number nine or, or going forward? Yeah, they definitely need to, to have a center forward who, I mean, I, we need goals. Um, yeah. I, I, I've, I've been a big fan of Berhalter using young players. I think that that can't be overstated that they qualified with, with such a young team. Um, but there's a pretty, pretty obvious formula that goes to World Cup success, and it's, and it's having a, a certain, you know, age average. You want a few young players uh, – Absolutely. And then you, you want to have some, some veterans who are still in their prime. And, you know, that to me is a little bit of a concern, the inconsistency. Um, again, you know, I mean, things are going to be kind of crazy. Is a November World Cup, uh, not a lot of rest for the players, which could be to the U.S. advantage, right? Because you know, the English players might be more worn down. They might have more injuries. The U.S. has... Um, you know, you have the, with MLS will be players will be ending the season at a different time because of the playoffs in MLS Cup, but they might get a little bit more rest than uh, players coming off a European season. Um, so there could be that advantage. I would like, you know, I'm hoping that a guy like Pepe starts scoring some goals because that's a tough one when you have center forward that hasn't been scoring for so long. Uh, yeah, well, you, t you talk about it's almost the, the pyramid effect, and you talk about Poland with Lewandowski. You could have said the same thing, too, and not that he's a striker, but with Messi. I mean, they depended upon Messi and Argentina, and it didn't work. Um, you know, we seem to be the, the, the big component missing for the U.S. is some goals. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on, on who you would put in there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you, you're, you have Pulisic. He's going to play. Whether he's in form or not, he's going to play because he needs to. And, and, Rain, and Rain is part of the first 11. So it really comes down to who's, who's the next best. Yeah? And then we've had this discussion. Is, is it the next best overall player, or do you crowbar nine into there? And then how, does that, what, how, does, how do you now play tactically? So if you truly want that center forward nine type, which is Mike's point that that has shown some value in World Cup success, so you're going to wait to the last possible moment and then crowbar whoever you think is the most informed person. 
Or do you develop a slightly different way of playing that perhaps is a little bit more fluid, but bring the next best overall player into that attacking role, even if he's not a nine necessarily? So I think there's a few questions there for the staff. And now that they know generally who the opponents are, that might factor into the equation as well. So they have, it's some interesting options they have to go through between now and then. And to All the right. point on the opponents, real quick, and the emphasis on goals, these look like low-scoring type of group games. You know, we've seen how England played the last couple of major tournaments, or mostly Euros, where it kept it tight near Southgate. Uh, we know that's how Scotland and Wales would play if they make it. Uh, Iran gave up four goals in ten games in qualifying. So it seems like goals again at a premium. Obviously, they're always important, but these look like defensive-minded teams that you uh, need that nine, need something to unlock those defenses. Well, that's absolutely um, that, and that reminds me what when it comes to World Cup is the importance of the first game. I don't know if you've had those stats on the t tip of your fingers. I, I don't have them, but I know uh, we, yeah. we've done them. He, he's always got numbers kicking around I in mean, his head. To lose the first game at a World Cup where the only two teams go through, you know, the first game is, is, is yeah, big you're in trouble. Yeah, I don't. I want to say it's one out of four, one out maybe yeah. teams if you lose. I mean, you got to get four points. If you got four points, you're a little better than 50-50 to get out. So, yeah, you lose that game, and you're way behind the eight ball. But, yeah, you, you, you win that game, and you're, you can't quite coast, but all you need is probably a draw the rest of the way to go through. And looking at the opposition and the, who we're going to have to play, we, we got to win that first game. We, we got to really win that one. So, um, all right, guys, we're going to finish it up here. But I have one more question. Mike, um, watching a little Bundesliga this weekend, uh, Ricardo Pepe went up against uh, Jonathan Brooks. Pepe didn't score, but he was involved in sort of the third goal with a nice dish. Um, Chris and I were talking about it before you guys got on. Um, I think this is a good thing that there's so much competition for positional play on the national team that, you know, Brooks had a, a bad game or two, and that's it. He's, he hasn't been come, come back. Zimmerman, um, you know, comes out of, the, out of the pack. Is there something more behind Brooks not being called back in other than his form that you know of? I don't think so. I think it just is his, history of, of uh, having stretches where he has played weirdly bad um, mm. with, his, with his club, you know, kind of a roller coaster thing. Um, and I mean, that's the only thing I can imagine. He's, he's had that for a long time. I mean, it's not the like, worst thing in the world, but each, every coach he's had would say, oh, he's not, he's not into it right now. So, um, but I don't think, you know, Berhalter said he's not dismissing him. I mean, if he, if he finishes. The other thing to remember is that we have a, long, we have a bigger roster at this World Cup. Yeah. Um, I believe Probably. it's 26 players. Yeah, 26 players. And you can, um, you know, you can dress them. You can dress 23, but you got 26. So you can bring, um, you know, three extra players. That gives you a little bit of leeway. You know, they did that because there's not as much of a buildup for, for injury recovery. Right. Um the good thing about the Bundesliga situation with Pepe is that, that when they add, improves their chances of not getting relegated. I think that would be a, uh, a bummer for him to be in the second division while he's getting ready for the World Cup. Um, you know, so that's looking good. And then um, just hoping that uh, you have guys like Reyna and Pulisic healthy come World Cup time. We, we've got some speed. We've got some youth. So uh, they've been fun to watch. We just need some goals. So how is Josie's health? Do we know? Has he ever been healthy? For God's sake, such talent. I believe he's, he's got, you know, he's, doing, he's not playing poorly or anything, but, um, I'm, you know, I, 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 he'd have, I don't know. He'd have to really be 
you know, he's, he'd have to be playing pretty well, be doing quite well. And then the Rebs aren't doing very well as a team right now. So, I, well, um, I thought I thought Dempsey looked pretty fit in the broadcaster <laughs> there, man. Maybe pull him in for a couple minutes. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking that you know how like Germany brought Rudy Feller back once. You know, you, yeah. you got a guy if he's doing well in the league. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't discount the possibility of there being some call ups right at the end of players that hadn't been that involved in qualifying because that is a yeah. decent stretch of time. Sargent or Zardis finds his form. I, it doesn't seem like it's happening for those two, though. Sargent, I would hope for, because I still believe that something could, um, you know, that I still believe he has a, a knack for, for the goal that, that is special. Um, Zardis, who, who, you know, I don't want to bash him because I think he's been treated so brutally by people. Yeah. Um, I, but I just don't think it'd be a great sign if Zardis was was on the roster with all due respect. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy and been a, a, a great warrior for the United States. Yeah. I can't stand all that that crap that goes on with all the social media. Chris, you know, what are your thoughts on the striker? What do you what do you look for? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two choices there, which is, you know, do you just go with a guy that you know has played in, in many camps already and knows what Greg wants, or do you just go for the most informed player? Right. And then option three is to get the veteran. I would guess that Greg would not choose that because he just has a younger group, and I don't know if he wants to upset the locker room or take the risk of upsetting that locker room. They've kind of rallied around being a younger group. Uh, and that seems to be what their identity is. Could he absorb one or two older ones? Sure. Uh, would he? I don't know if he would, just for the risk that that might bring. But with the increased roster size, you do have that luxury now, so it'll be selective. I don't know if David Regie will make a comeback, but you might David Regie, there's a name in the past. Wow. <laughs> you, you might get a name out of the blue. You never know. Allez la bleue. Allez la bleue. <laughs> I think that's the nine's the interesting decision that's got to be made. You know, historically, we've seen guys come from nowhere to make the roster. 2010 stands out in particular. Hurt Gomez, Edson Buttle both had really strong few months before the World Cup, and they both played their way on. And so I think how there's you, a how chance. I remember this shit. Oh, yeah. my God. That's a good God, man, that's way back in the. I'd be dusting off files in my brain for days. You know, Googling. so if, you know, God. somebody, you know, someone comes and puts up 15 goals in MLS this season uh, as a number nine. Uh, Josie's probably not going to, Zardis probably isn't going to, but you know, somebody else comes along and does that. You got to hey. at least look at him, especially if you got a 26 man roster. Chicharito had a nice goal for the Galaxy the other day. So Mexico could use some of that. So. Yeah. All right, yeah. guys, this has been great. It's been great talking to you. Yeah. Chris, you have a question for these knuckleheads before we let them go? <laughs> Uh, I appreciate your time. It's always good to get the banter back and forth on these kinds of things. I mean, in terms of the math, how do you ever look at the model, Paul, of like the odds if fans are asking us, hey, what are the odds of the U.S. getting out of the group? How would you even wrap your head around trying to figure out a way to talk about that? I mean, it's hard. You basically have, you know, each team gets what's called a power ranking. And when team a plays team b if whatever the ranking difference and how that is comes out to a percentage uh for the results and then you just add up those results for all the group games and it all comes out so i haven't seen any for this specifically it, i mean it's hard to do for the u.s because you've got you could have wales you could have scotland so you've got mm. there's a big difference right now uh, my sense is you know if it's scotland I and mean, there's kind of a gradation wales ukraine scotland if it's wales then the u.s is probably looking at you know, less than 50-50 to get out, but they could still be the second favorite. Uh, they might be behind Wales in some of the rankings I've seen as well. Uh, you know, if it's Scotland, they're going to be, my guess is a little better than 50-50 uh, to get through. So, right. you know, a lot depends on what happens, but 
that's kind of where the U.S. is at. They're in that 40 to 55, 60 range, basically, to get out. Professor, is this going to be on the stats test? or? Yeah, I, I hope you guys are taking notes because uh, I'm coming back next week with a quiz. I broke my, I broke my number two pencil. All yeah. right, guys. Hey, uh, Paul Carr, uh, we appreciate it. Mike Oitola from Soccer America. Thanks, guys, for um, you know, illuminating all the, uh, the ins and outs of the World Cup. We could talk about some other things uh, as we move ahead because, uh, well, we wait till November. That's going to be strange enough. Little turkey and uh, and get in Christmas holiday sort of season. It's going to be totally different than what we're used to with World Cups. But we appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball, guys. Talk to you again. Thanks, Kevin. You better have a good one. My pleasure. Take care. All right, that was great, man. I enjoyed talking to them. Um, you know, Paul giving us all those stats we got to remember, and then uh, Mike with little insight on players and and the history. I mean, how he pulled that. Uh, Paul pulled that out of his head. Edson Buttle and uh, forget and, and Hercules go Yeah, like, yeah. God, I can't remember what I had for lunch today. Never mind. That. I know. And Mike's got the the World Cup knowledge as well. So it's like he, he's you could see he enjoys that chap those chapters. You know, like he just knows the history of the World Cups. It's cool. You know, and then they brought up the point. Like, we have six months before the cup. Long long ways away. A lot can happen, right? Yeah, I mean. You know, it just takes a little knock here and there or something more serious. And the whole group dynamic can change. Like, look how much we were affected by McKinney being out, you know, so that's one. And now we've kind of started leaning on Zimmerman and, you know, you don't want to become overly dependent on one person. That's why you hope to have a strong pool. But as you get closer and closer and closer, and this is true for every team in all competitions around the world, whether it's a World Cup or you know, a college team, is like you take a knock at the wrong time and now you're missing you know, a crucial little time period. All it takes is, is an ankle and you can miss all three games of the first round. You know? And so that's the part where you know, how do you train? How do you, how do you prevent? Well, you can't. You just have to do your best and, and hope that you're lucky as a group. Well, I think, you know, because, look, we battled a lot of injuries during this qualifying period with McKenney and Aronson, uh, Dest. A lot of players were hurt, um, and we made it through. That's why I would – I think it's arguable. I do think we're the best team in the region. I think uh, England uh, – not England, but the English coach who coaches the Canadian team has done a really good job. They, they, those guys play um, like they feel like they can play with anybody, and you know as a coach – too. And as a player, you know, it's like, wow, when you have that confidence, man, you, you, you got to kind of, uh, it, it works. It helps. Yeah. So when you say, Kevin, that you think the U.S. is the best team in the region, are you saying that in terms of potential or you feel that way in real time? Uh, well, sort of they, they mashed together there. I think with the play, the, we weren't inconsistent, that's for sure. But I think some of the inconsistency was the, the players that were in there that were hurt. And I think the biggest factor was McKinney, you know, missing. I think he missed, I don't know, he missed a bunch of games. Uh, and we're definitely a better team with him. Uh, and he's a true, true captain. I know he had gotten some off-field problems that, that sort of probably stymied that growth. Because, like, as great as a player as Pulisic is and really motivated and really love watching him play and he gives it his all, I don't think he's captain kind of material. I think McKenney is. He's a big swinging dick, and he's just like he loves it. He's just he's talking shit. He's pulling guys, helping him up. He's you know talking to the ref. He's talking to the players. He, he plays box to box. Uh, you know, so that was a big a big difference. And I think uh, eight out of ten times, I think we beat Canada. Yeah, I think you know it's tricky. I think what Mike says about Canada being clearly the best. I mean, I could see that in terms of. 
the the perception of it and then paul comes in and talks about the numbers of it and and speaks of how well the u.s is actually doing and so there's a difference between the numbers and the perception and i think that's i think a lot of fans have different opinions on that and and yeah. it'll be interesting to see how canada does in the world cup because it's still a new venture for them for, for all their players they have they don't have the experience the coach doesn't have the experience on the men's side to take his group through a world cup and and the players haven't been there either so it'll be really interesting to see how they do versus how we do um because that will probably set up the stage for you know are we now are they going to be able to maintain where they're at which i think everyone thinks canada will now because of their mls influence because now Concacaf becomes a three-headed monster which makes it even harder right i i was actually contacted by uh, he's a big executive television executive up in canada about the new Canadian league, they're trying to do a domestic league, sort of a, a second tier team, which is, is great news for us soccer fans, but uh, it's trouble for the United States national team because they're going to be better players. So this is, this is good for everybody. Uh, rising, there's a rising tides raises all boats. So yeah, um, yeah. this will be fun. And by the way, Canada has the best player in the region for sure. One of the best players in the world, I would say with Davies. So, mm-hmm. um, so good stuff, Chris, uh, what do you got coming up this week? You in training? Oh, I know what I want to ask you. I want to yeah. ask you about this. What's your prediction for the Liverpool Man City game? Oh my goodness. I'm not in yeah. the prediction business. And you know, it's funny cause like through the, through the years, people ask me, you know, which team do I like and all that stuff. And I've become such a follower of coaches that I don't really have favorite teams and clubs. I'm not a fan that way. Um, but these two coaches have been fascinating for me because they're the two of the ones I've studied, you know, arguably the most. And um, they're so different with their personalities. And I, th- I don't think Klopp gets enough credit. I know he, he has all the fame and the success and everything, but the way his personality comes off, he's so jovial in so many ways and has the big smile and the heart laugh and all that stuff but nine out of ten times he's the smartest guy in the room people don't realize that you know and so if anyone's going to go toe-to-toe with pep it's 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 Klopp and I think that you know this is going to be a marquee matchup obviously for fans to see the Premier League title potentially on the line yeah yeah. but also you know these other matches that they have and, and it brings up a really interesting question that I think as coaches sometimes we juggle with which is you know if you have a certain idea in your head about how you think you can get after Man City you know do you show it in this game do you save it for the Champions League game do you actually prioritize a game one over the other and, you know, I, I think the answer is now you're competitive and you prepare for every match. And that's probably true. But I wonder what the thought process is behind the scenes. I'd love to be wow. a fly on the wall for those conversations. Sophie's choice, man. Sophie's choice. It's a mm-hmm. tough one. And yeah. I tell you what, if I'm in a room with Klopp, I am definitely not the smartest man in the room. That is for sure. So, all right, Chris. <laughs> Uh, Good stuff, man. Good show. Um, Everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our two great guests from Soccer America, Mike Wojtola, and for True Media, Paul Carr. Uh, For uh, all of us here at Over the Ball, uh, download us wherever you download your podcasts and uh, use that phone number. Ask us some questions. All right, we'll talk to you next time, everybody, on OTB.